Chapter Five of Mountain Adventures in the Various Countries of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Deborah Balm, Cambridge, UK. Mountain Adventures in the Various Countries of the World by John Timms. Chapter Five: The Jungfrau. Ascent in eighteen forty-one by L. Agassiz, E. Desor, Forbes, and Du Chatelier. A giddy path follows the edge of the precipice. You walk between life and death. Two threatening peaks shut in the solitary road. Traverse noiselessly this place of terror, fear to awaken the sleeping avalanche. The bridge which crosses the frightful abyss no man would have dared to build. Below, without power to shake it, growls and foams the torrent. A sombre arch seems to conduct towards the empire of the dead, but beyond appears the laughing country in which the spring marries the autumn. Ah, if I could but escape the pains and troubles of life by taking refuge in this happy valley four streams of which the sources are all hidden precipitate themselves into the plain they flow towards the four quarters of the world the west and the north the south and the east and these boisterous waters seem scarcely to have left their mother before they have fled far off and disappeared in the vast ocean above the multitudes of men the high peaks tower into the azure sky there float the cloudy daughters of heaven surrounded by a halo no terrestrial witness sees their lonely rounds on a bright imperishable throne sits the queen of mountains her forehead encircled with diamonds a cold crown which sparkles beneath the brilliant rays of the sun schiller before setting out I will just mention an incident respecting one of our guides which will serve to show the character of these mountaineers and will explain at the same time the unlimited confidence that we had in them hans varen the friend of jacob lutolt and one of the most intelligent of all the guides of the hotel of the grimsel was in our service for more than a month he was in some sort jacob's lieutenant and rejoiced in the idea of conducting us to the jungfrau because he and Jacob were the only persons who were in the secret of this expedition. But it happened that the evening before the day fixed, in going down with us to the hospice, he was taken with a violent inflammation in the knee, which the doctor considered serious. In spite of the pain which he felt, however, the poor man could not make up his mind to let us start without him. During the two days of delay which occurred, his knee was sensibly relieved, so that on the eve of our departure he came limping to assure us that he would be able to go with us making no doubt that he would be cured by the next day monsieur agassiz as we think properly refused his consent setting before him all the dangers to which he would be exposed the unfortunate varen had nothing to object to these reasons but the bitterest chagrin was painted on his countenance and seeing that he could not shake us he retired into a corner of the apartment and wept whilst his comrades were making preparations for departure the next day on entering the servants room i was much astonished at meeting there our man at breakfast with the other guides 
as i expressed my surprise he asked whether it was not then permitted to him to take leave of us i thanked him for his attention and again recommended him to take care of his knee agassiz did the same and we set out we had hardly gone a quarter of a league when all at once we saw him against a rock in company with the other guides all of us cried out to him at once asking whether he had really lost his head altogether we tried once more to turn him from what we judged a fatal project but in answer he only declared that he had well reflected on the danger which he ran and that he would rather die than not be one of the party so we insisted no further but confined ourselves then to recommending prudence making many reflections among ourselves on what must have passed in the mind of this man usually so calm and submissive before he took such a resolution on the twenty seventh of august at four o'clock in the morning we started from the grimsel itself a height of six thousand feet and directed our steps towards the upper glacier of the Ahr, which is separated from the lower glacier by the mass of the zinkenstock we were at the little hillock which rises on the bank of the river when the first rays of the sun touched the tops of the highest mountains whilst their bases were still bathed in the twilight whiteness which follows the setting and precedes the rising of the sun among all these summits there was one quite on the horizon which was peculiarly lighted up it appeared all on fire what is that peak i asked of the guides and they whether they thought so or whether they only used this stratagem in order to increase our ardour i do not know immediately answered that is the jungfrau the whole company was as it were electrified we felt our courage increase and from that moment i no longer doubted of success in two hours we reached the extreme point of the glacier of oberar and we were astonished to see that this glacier which in the preceding year had remained stationary had this year participated in the progressive movement peculiar to all these glaciers of the bernese oberland it had considerably pushed its moraines forward particularly its terminal moraine and its lateral left one the latter in its encroachments on the side of the valley had completely raised the turf which was cut up just as if it had been furrowed by a ploughshare the ascent furnished us with an opportunity of making many interesting observations on the relation of smooth and whitened rocks to the surface of the glacier from the top we descended on to the plateau of snow which feeds the glacier of Vich. this is a vast circus of more than half a league in diameter bounded on the north by the immense mass of the finsteraarhorn which all bear among the inhabitants of valais the name of vichehorna and of which the lowest are between nine thousand and ten thousand feet high it was in the midst of this plain that we established ourselves to get our dinner a dinner which frugal though it was we found delicious thanks to the appetites which we brought to it afterwards we descended the fields of ice which extend on the south towards the valets the snow was perfectly homogeneous without any trace of fallen rocks or of foreign bodies on its surface the crevasses had almost entirely disappeared or if there were still any to be seen it was on the sides of the valley so we were walking in entire security as we thought when we perceived at a short distance from us several little openings 
curious to know the cause we directed our steps in that direction and what was our astonishment when in looking down into one of these chinks we saw that it hid an immense precipice and in this precipice there was an azure light which surpassed in beauty transparency and softness all that we had yet seen on the glaciers ah if i only possessed the talent of describing in language worthy of it all the poetry that there was in this combination of snow and of light never had i seen any spectacle more attractive our eyes were so fascinated by it that we did not at first perceive that the crust of snow which covered this enchanting cavern was only in this place some inches in thickness however i do not think that we ran a very great risk for the snow was closely packed together and the sun had not yet melted it after contemplating the entrancing effect of this singular phenomenon for some time we wished to know the cause of it as well as its nature it was an immense crevasse of nearly a hundred feet wide and as we calculated of about three hundred and thirty feet deep in the place in which we examined it there was no other opening than the little chink of which i have spoken but further on it joined a large crevasse which was open on the side of the right bank and there the light entered while the intermediate roof tempering the reflection of the divisions of snow gave them a sweetness and a charm quite indescribable the divisions of these caves like immense walls of crystal were composed of horizontal and parallel strata from the three or four inches to three feet in thickness of snow very much hardened and pressed together but still crystalline for it had not yet taken that granulated form which one meets lower down between these strata of snow there was usually a little band of ice but of an ice that was bulbous and not very compact although of a deeper colour than the rest of the divisions our guides were all agreed in affirming that each of these layers represents the snow of one year and this explanation appeared to us the most natural as to the thin bands of ice which separate the layers of snow they are doubtless due to the action of the sun which has shone every summer on the layer of the preceding winter in pursuing our route we found a number of other crevasses similar to the one which i have just described we soon arrived at a certainty that the soil on which we were travelling was entirely mined for in looking into an open crevasse we often saw it prolonged into the interior of the mass far beyond its superficial limits but others were open to the surface the whole way after having travelled for about an hour over fields of snow we passed over the neve in which we met with prodigious quantity of red snow as the little organisms which compose this red snow are usually accumulated in the greatest numbers just beneath the surface we of course rendered them more apparent by disturbing the ground so at every step we left as it were a trace of blood which could be seen at a great distance it was on the right bank of the glacier at about three hours march from the village of viche that we anticipated the most difficult work it was necessary to descend over a barrier of rock almost vertical and very steep at the foot of which fell a beautiful cascade the road was a species of couloir which presented here and there some slight projections on which we could place our feet when these points of support were insufficient we endeavoured to cling on the best way we could against the sides of the couloir 
helping ourselves with a stick or making use of the assistance of one of the guides but this latter was a method to which our armour proper resigned itself as a last resource when we were out again on the glacier and could look at the descent which we had just made it seemed impossible to us that this could be the road which the shepherds ordinarily take but Jacob assured us that there was no other. We understood still less how they transport their flocks there, and Jacob did not know this himself, yet he maintained that it is this way that they would come up. We informed ourselves about it afterwards at Vich, where they told us that this is really the only way to the upper pasturage, and that they hoist the sheep by means of cords which they attach to their horns, and in default of horns to their necks. As for the shepherds, they do not often pass over this road, for, when once the sheep are up, they leave them to themselves until the autumn, and it is only from time to time that a shepherd goes up to give them the salt which they require. We have many opportunities of proving along the glacier of Vich the manner in which it wears away and forms its banks. The predominant rock here is still the granite, sometimes composed of fine grains, sometimes of coarse crystals, which, however, does not prevent it from being in many parts as smooth as polished marble. We remarked in it also, in a very distinct manner, those parallel striae, which constitute one of the distinctive characteristics of the glaze or polish produced by the action of glaciers. It was four o'clock in the evening when we made the last halt, still on the right bank of the glacier of Vich, in a spot from whence we could see, for the first time, the bottom of the valet. We observed from hence several ancient moraines, which extended a long way on the left bank of the glacier, to a height of several inches above its own level. A quantity of loose blocks are scattered to higher levels still, and indeed loose blocks are found up to the summit of the mountain. We had still two leagues to go, no one was very tired, although we had been on foot for twelve hours. But a cry of surprise escaped us when, at the turn of the mountain, Jacob showed us the way which we had to go. It was a very steep slope, about a thousand feet high, by the edge of which went a little path, and apparently by no means a pleasant one. The look of despair on some faces, and the expression of resignation on others, might have furnished subjects for a capital picture, if there had been an artist among us who was not too much fatigued to draw. However, we arrived at six o'clock in the evening at the chalets of Moyelen, where we were to pass the night, and where the shepherds received us very cordially. Next day we ascended straight onto the glacier of Aletsch. On the right where it bends we enjoyed a magnificent view in two directions. The Dent Blanche, the Matterhorn, Monte Rosa and the Strahlhorn formed a picture on the southwest, whilst before us on the north rose the grand peaks of the Jungfrau, the Eiger and the Monk, which appeared so near that they seemed to invite us to persevere. The glacier of Aletsch is in general very smooth. It is of all the glaciers the one which has the slightest inclination. We walked nearly two hours on the compact ice after which we passed into the region of crevasses, which is the division between the ice and the neve. This region is almost a league wide. The neve which succeeds it is the finest in Switzerland. It begins about the height of the Falberg, 
and may be known from a distance by a certain air of age about it which forms a striking contrast with the dazzling whiteness of the upper snows it is depressed in the middle and raised at the edges which is in fact an essential characteristic of all nevets crevasses were very rare this year and we only came across a few very narrow ones on the fields of snow which began with the ascent we made at half-past nine the first halt in a place which we called the repose because the passage that we had just made and the immense slopes which rise in front of it naturally invite one to take rest there we found on the first plateau of snow some crevasses which occur frequently just where the slopes begin to be steep these are like those of the neve of viche crevasses of embankment we saw some here again which were nearly a hundred feet wide but as they are not very long as well as wide we were generally able to go round them but sometimes they were hidden and therefore our guide had to use the utmost circumspection to preserve us from danger so we got on less quickly than we desired and in spite of all the precautions several of us got slips but without sustaining any real injury we thus scaled several terraces and directed our steps always to the west we arrived at a vast opening commanded on all sides by great peaks of which the highest was the jungfrau jacob made us halt here a second time doubtless that he might reconnoitre as for us we only saw on all sides difficulties insurmountable on the right vertical slopes on the left masses of ice which threatened to crush us in their fall and before us the rim eye or great crevasse which appeared impassable it was so gaping i asked jacob in what direction we were going to ascend but he refused to answer me contenting himself with saying that we only had to follow him in all confidence and that he already saw the road that we must take afterwards i saw that he was right to elude my question for it is very likely that we should never have arrived if every one had been allowed to give his opinion on the difficult passages it was then nearly midday the heat was excessive and in order to refresh themselves our guides applied handfuls of snow on the nape of the neck several others did the same in spite of the remonstrances of the others who alarmed at what appeared imprudence forgot that in these elevated regions the material organization as well as the moral nature is much more independent of pernicious influences than in the plain the reflection of the light from the snow was most intense and almost insupportable in such circumstances one can hardly do without a veil but there is on the other side the great inconvenience of rendering your steps less sure and of considerably increasing the heat of the face by hindering the fresh air from getting at it so agassiz preferred to expose himself to having his face scorched rather than use one we directed our course straight for the great rimai which we reached after having climbed up a fourth terrace it is a gulf of unknown depth which opens on to the slope of the last terrace but one and penetrates a little obliquely into the mass of snow in another place its width is not less than ten feet so that there is no way of getting over it but by a ladder before passing over we went to examine the ruins of a fallen mass which was lying on our left and which appeared to have been detached a little while before for the impression which it had left in rolling over the surface of the snow was still quite fresh 
we saw with interest that the ruins of this avalanche detached from a peak of which the height is nearly a thousand feet were composed of alternate layers of compact blue ice and of white ice which had the appearance of congealed snow these different layers were an inch or two in thickness and alternated three or four times in a block of a cubic yard we had now to pass over the great crevasse our ladder was nearly twenty-five feet long and was consequently more than sufficiently large but immediately above the gulf the slope of the ground was frightfully rapid for a space of more than thirty feet we reckoned the inclination at about fifty degrees and further the snow which up to that point had been very soft and almost powdery assumed all at once an excessive hardness so that the guides were obliged to cut steps our courage was ready to sink at the first trial but jacob and jaun mounted first when they were arrived at about half the distance across they flung us the rope which they held one end and which fixed by the other to the ladder served us as a sort of banister we thus all reached the summit of the terrace though not without difficulty the guides themselves perhaps exaggerated the dangers of this first passage a little for they lavished their directions and their support with a liberality which we might have found superfluous if not injurious some hours later it was two o'clock when we arrived at the col du rotal this defile resembles very much that of the oberar and like this latter it is commanded by two very high peaks the jungfrau on the north and the extremity of the kranzberg on the south it is several yards wide here the hanging mists collected in the bottom of the rothtal only allowed us some fugitive glances into this wild and rugged valley which the country people consider to be the abode of a band of turbulent spirits known under the name of the barons of rothtal we calculated the height of the last peak at nearly a thousand feet above our level and we hoped to ascend it in less than an hour in spite of its excessive steepness however we soon saw that the ascent was more difficult than we had supposed in place of snow we only found on all sides compact ice in which the guides were obliged to cut steps lest we should slide down and we had to advance very slowly so we had ascended for an hour without the peak seeming to be sensibly nearer when the thickest fog enveloped us and we could hardly discern from behind those who were at the head of the column this was just the steepest point of the ascent mr forbes having measured the inclination found it to be forty-five degrees the ice was so hard and impenetrable that for a little while we could not make more than fifteen steps in quarter of an hour the cold also was so intense that there was reason to fear that we should get our feet frozen in spite of all our care to give them as much motion as possible seeing then that our position began to be really critical agassiz asked jacob if he hoped that we should ever arrive at the top the latter replied to him with his habitually calm manner that he had never doubted it and at the cry of forwards forward we again set ourselves to mount with the same ardour as at the beginning one however of the guides had quitted us not having been able longer to bear the sight of the precipices to the right of us and truly the road which we had to follow was enough to frighten any one who was not sure of his head and his legs 
this last ridge which is in form like a vertical section of an inclined cone commands on the east those fields of snow which we had just crossed and on the west the neve of rothal the inclination is however rather more on the west than on the east for the fragments of ice broken off by the strokes of the hatchet always rolled into the latter valley as we had no time to lose we went up quite straight without making any zigzag it was also the most rational and the surest method for by the laws of the mechanics one has much more strength when one bears on the toes and turns the face forward than when one goes up obliquely so that if unfortunately one of us had slipped it would not have been impossible for the others to hold him up whilst in the other case it would have been at least very difficult and further jacob made us walk on the edge of the ridge because the ice was generally rather less hard there which accelerated our ascent a little the result was that we had the precipice constantly under our eyes only being separated from it by a sloping roof of snow several times in putting my stick out a little further than usual i felt it go through this snow which was in some places only about a foot and a half thick and we could then if the fog had appeared to clear away for a few moments look through these holes made by the stick on to the vast table-land beneath our feet far from dissuading us from this exercise the guides rather encouraged us in it at least all who were not liable to giddiness and i believe that truly it was a good way of giving us reassurance but the fog still hung round the summit and we had only a clear view to the east over the eiger the monk and the peaks which enclose the glaciers of the oberar and of the unterar already we had begun to despair of enjoying the spectacle which our imagination tried to paint when all at once the veil of clouds withdrew and as if touched by our perseverance the jungfrau showed herself to our astonished eyes in all the beauty of her mighty and majestic form i leave you to fancy what delight we felt at the sight of this unexpected change it was a sort of picture of life if i mistake not audace fortuna juvat after having ascended still for some time in the same direction we turned suddenly to the left in order to reach a place where the rock was bare crossing thus the inclined surface of the demi-cone of which the breadth is here still about twenty-five feet during this little crossing the summit remained hidden from us and when we arrived at the rocky place we saw as by magic at some steps from us the culminating point which until then had seemed to flee from us in proportion as we rose higher of thirteen of us who left the chalets de moyolin eight of us were about to succeed in our attempt monsieur agassiz forbes du chatelier and myself accompanied by four guides jacob lutholt michel baunholzer johannes ablenalp and hans jaun from meiringen switzerland england france and germany were thus represented in this ascent here for the first time we beheld the swiss plain we were on the western border of the section of the cone having at our feet the mass which separates the valleys of lauterbrunnen from those of grindelwald from this moment the scene appeared to us entirely changed and the mass which had seemed to shrink as we rose looked larger now by all the height that we had gained 
quite close to the rocky place the mountain forms a little elbow at ten feet below the highest point this is at the same time the limit of the ice which higher up gives place anew to the snow or rather to a coarse-grained neve we saw with a sort of fear that the space which separated us from the highest point was a sharp ridge of from perhaps two-thirds of a foot to rather over a foot in width only for the distance of about twenty feet whilst the sides both right and left sloped at an inclination of sixty or seventy degrees there is no way of reaching it said agassiz and this was the opinion of nearly all jacob on the contrary asserted that there was no difficulty and that we should all go up putting down the things which he carried he set forward passing his stick over the ridge so as to have the latter under his right arm and thus walked along the eastern slope crushing the snow as much as possible under his feet so as to make our road easier he thus in an instant and without difficulty reached the peak so much courage and sang-froid reanimated our courage and when he returned for us no one ventured to refuse the summit is a very small space about two feet long by a foot and a half wide it is in the form of a triangle with the base turned towards the swiss plain as there was not room for more than one each went in turn agassiz ascended first supported on the arm of jacob who preceded him he remained about five minutes and when he rejoined us i saw that he was very much agitated and in fact he confessed to me that he had never felt such emotion it was my turn next i experienced no difficulty in crossing but when i was at the summit i could no more than agassiz repress the most lively emotion in presence of such a spectacle of surpassing grandeur i also only remained a few minutes but long enough to remove all fear that the panorama of the jungfrau would ever be effaced from my memory it is not the vast field which the eyes embrace which is the charm of these mountains already in the preceding year on the col de l'estrelec we had experience which taught us that the distant views are generally rather indistinct here on the summit of the jungfrau the forms of the far-off mountains appeared still less defined but they had been as clear as is the line of the jura when seen from an eminence in the plain i believe that our eyes would not have rested long on them so much were they fascinated by the spectacle which our immediate neighbourhood offered before us was extended the swiss plain and at our feet were stretched the anterior chains which by their apparent uniformity appeared to set off the great peaks which rose almost to our level at the same time the valleys of the oberland which at the moment of our arrival were enveloped in light mists discovered themselves in several places and permitted us to see through the breaks in them the world below we distinguished on the right the valley of grindelwald and on the left in the depth an immense crevasse and at the bottom of the latter a light line which seemed to follow its windings this was the valley of lauterbrunnen with the lutschine river running through it but above all the eiger and the munk attracted our attention we had some difficulty in realising that these were the same peaks which seem nearer to heaven than to the earth when one sees them from the plain here we contemplated them from above 
and their great proximity permitted us in some sort to observe them in detail for we were only separated from them by the extent of the neve de leche opposite on the western side rose another peak less colossal but more graceful the sides of which being entirely clothed with snow it has obtained the name of silverhorn silver peak however in the same direction we discovered several other peaks in like manner crowned with snow of which the nearest and most pointed appeared to us to be the gletscherhorn these summits formed the immediate cortege of the jungfrau which rises like a queen in the midst of them beyond the eiger and the munk in the eastern direction the great masses which surround the glaciers of finsterar and of lauterar form another group still more extensive and severe looking than that in the midst of which we were placed these were the vischerhorner the oberarhorn the schreckhorner the berglistock the wetterhorner and in the centre the finsterarhorn the highest mountain of switzerland which alone amongst them all rose above our level and whose steep and rocky sides seemed to defy our ambition on the south the view was contracted by the clouds which had accumulated for several hours over the chain of monte rosa but this inconvenience was more than compensated by a very extraordinary phenomenon which was presented to our eyes and which interested us exceedingly thick fogs appeared as it were massed together on our left in a south-westerly direction they rose from the base of the rothtal and began to extend to the north over the mass which separates this valley from that of lauterbrunnen we were already beginning to fear that they would a second time come over us when their progress was suddenly stopped no doubt from the effect of some current of the plain which prevented them from coming further in this direction thanks to this circumstance we found ourselves all at once before a vertical wall of fog the height of which must have been over twelve thousand feet at least for it penetrated to the bottom of the valley of lauterbrunnen and rose much above our heads as the temperature was down to freezing point the little drops of mist were transformed into icy crystals and reflected in the sun all the colours of the rainbow so that one might have said that a golden mist sparkled around us it was more than four o'clock when we again put ourselves en route and now came the difficult part for if the ascent had been perilous that must the descent be i am quite sure of this that when we measured with our eyes the immense declivity that we had to get down more than one of us would have been very glad to have been already at the bottom it was too steep to think of walking in the usual way so we had to descend backwards i confess that the first steps caused me a little uneasiness for as we had not that is agassiz and i guides before us to direct our steps we were obliged to constantly look between our legs to find the cuttings which made the way appear more giddy than it might otherwise have done but some moments sufficed to get used to this and such was the regularity of the cuttings that after having taken some hundreds of steps we could if necessary have trusted to our feet and have dispensed with looking at them at all yet the steepness of the descent was almost always the same oscillating between forty and forty-five degrees that is to say much the same as that of the roofs of our gothic cathedrals 
there was indeed one place in which it must have been about forty-seven degrees but in spite of this excessive steepness we did not take more than an hour in reaching the col de rothal for it was about five when we arrived there there remained still six leagues to make before we could regain our chalets so that as we had foreseen we should have to cross that part of the glacier which was most full of crevasses by night however no one seemed at all uneasy about it and the moon was not late in rising while the clouds had almost entirely disappeared from the horizon we marched at a quickened pace for three hours over the neve which succeeded the plateau of snow and that part was accomplished without difficulty for the neve here has a smooth surface so that it is easy to walk on it as a high road and it was scarcely dark when we saw the moon right in front of us we were then at the height of the two passes which i have mentioned that of Loch on the west and that which conducts into the neve of viche on the east the moon was just in the axis of the glacier so that all this great sea of ice was uniformly illuminated and reflected a light much softer than that of the sun from which we had suffered so much during the day the entrances of the two passes of Loch and viche presented a truly magical effect for as they are at right angles with the direction of the glacier the mountains which bound them on the south project into them shadows of a fantastic grandeur whilst the heavy clouds collected behind the Alechhorn gave to the picture all the vigour worthy of such a subject add to this that there was a perfect calm in the atmosphere and that an absolute silence reigned around us and it will be understood that we still felt extreme pleasure in gazing on this wonderful spectacle notwithstanding that all day we had been looking on prospects of marvellous splendour very soon we entered the region of crevasses then we judged it prudent to have recourse to the cord again for although the light of the moon was very lovely it was not sufficiently strong to enable us always to discern precisely when we were on old snow and when on that which had recently fallen especially during the first quarter of an hour in fact we all made somersaults by turns the guides as well as ourselves there was indeed one moment in which we began to feel really uneasy as to the issue of this crossing for at almost every step one or another had to be drawn out of a crevasse however by degrees we learnt to avoid them and we completed this part of the journey without any serious accident after having made a good supper we once more put ourselves en route for the last stage there remained before us about three leagues but except in these crevasses which we had still to leap the way was very easy and we arrived before we suspected that we were so near at the lake of morelan here we made a last halt in order that we might thoroughly admire a magnificent spectacle the blocks of floating ice which swam on the surface of the water glistened beautifully in the moonlight while at the same time the edge of the glacier appeared like an immense wall of crystal and then what added to the beauty of the scene was that arriving just at the time when the moon was about to pass behind the mountain mass which headed the lake we saw in a quarter of an hour effects of light and contrasts the most various it was a worthy ending to such a day e de Sor. end of chapter five recording by deborah balm cambridge u k